Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I am Daniel Norcross, BBC TMS commentator, occasional podcaster, occasional writer, and I have alongside me, as I always do, the lead cricket writer for the Press Association, the man we call the puff pastry hangman himself. It is... Rory Dollard. England Cricket on 99.94 is your new home for England Cricket content and we will be dropping into your podcast feed and on YouTube or the 99.94 app several times every week. So please do rate, review and subscribe. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Today we are going to discuss, well, there's only really one story in town and it's England's remarkable victory in the Test Series against Pakistan, they are 2-0 up with one to play. They have won as many Test matches in a week and a half as England have won in over 50 years in Pakistan. Nearly 60 years, for that matter. It is an extraordinary achievement with a bunch of players who were written off as absolutely hopeless. We have discussed this many times before, but today I'd like us to focus on how England have gone down there with effectively a, a bowling attack that I think nobody gave any real credence to and taken 40 wickets, 20 wickets in each match. It's quite extraordinary. We're going to also look at changes for the third test. Will there be any? Where's Ben Folkes sit in all this mix? How does Johnny Bairstow get back in the team? We discussed Ben Stokes opening the batting before. We'll also cast an eye over England's women in the West Indies who continue to well, churn out thumping victories. But what does this say about the wider quality of the women's game? Let's begin, though, Rory, with that remarkable victory yesterday. Remarkable because England were on top throughout the entire match, it seemed to me, until they kind of gave Pakistan a little sniff, threw away their last five wickets, then were on top again before a partnership got Pakistan to within 65 of victory with five wickets to go down on a docile pitch and you call for Mark Wood. He gets two people strangled down the leg side. One of them, you'd have to say, rather fortunately, looking at the replay, touch-and-go decision that went in England's favour. And yet, we're talking now about a 2-0 series win that could so easily, with the declaration that Ben Stokes offered at Royal Pindy, and then with that slightly lackadaisical batting and the fact that Pakistan's batters, well, you know, on a, on a pitch like that that seemed to get better, looked for all the world like they were going to win the second match as well. It, we're in euphoria because England are 2-0 up. They could be 2-0 down. Yeah, and I think that's that's the plan, isn't it? Like, they, they've come to a position where they have near enough manufactured scenarios where there would be two results because the results is what they wanted. And they have come out on the right side of them, but the whole... I guess the whole guiding philosophy behind this England setup is they don't have to come out on the right side of these scenarios for it to be the right decision. So England have gambled and risked and and pushed the envelope a little bit here and there, whether it be in the declaration or whether it be in making the first part of this game go fantastically quickly and considerably more quickly than it had to. They've guaranteed that on pitches where you know we're, we're saying. England have won two games, but they easily could have lost two games. Actually, you could be looking at two draws. This this pitch did spin a bit, but it, it could have been... One way to negate that spin could have been to bat slowly and carefully and take two days out of the game. So what England have done is is lived and died by their plans and their philosophy of moving the game. And they've done that in two different ways. So we, we, you know, we, we, we waxed lyrical about about last week in Raul Pindi, that was the 
that felt like peak McCullum Stokes because it was all about batting super, super fast and and then making a, a sort of a, a bit of a pissing contest declaration. Um, and that felt like that's what they're set up for. This time, they've won a game through positivity where they basically didn't get any runs <laughs> in the first innings. Or not <laughs> half as many, less than half as many than what they got the previous time. So this was versatility, I suppose. It was this was Basball. You allowed to say Basball or not? I'm not sure anymore. This was this no, was we're not really, but this was uh, ben, ben Ball. Ball. This was Ben Ball in a different way. It was it was getting to the end point with the game unfolding differently. So it does feel like we're in the midst of something quite significant, doesn't it? Like the way that they performed in the summer against the opposition, India, New Zealand, South Africa. Then they've gone over here to to Pakistan and it just feels like something quite important and quite it's with something with a bit of legs is is kicking off underneath us. It does, it does. But I would I would say that, you know, yesterday was defined, it seemed to me, by the result. Uh, by which I mean that England winning by twenty six runs has meant that we have all looked at this this revolutionary new way of playing and, and been amazed at its success. We could so easily have been marvelling at this new way of playing and and being and wondering at its failure, because um, you know when a side is two nil up with five minutes to go in a game of football, they don't necessarily feel that they need to entertain for the last five minutes plus injury mm. time and hurl everybody forward in search of a third. Now, when England found themselves three hundred and twenty odd ahead with five wickets remaining and two set batters. Yes, people can get out. I know they can. But when Ollie Robinson then has Harry Brook at the other end and he charges down the wicket, <laughs> this is a straight one with one of the worst shots you will ever see in the history of cricket. I heard somebody comparing it with Jack Leach's first innings effort. The difference there was that Mark Wood was in at the other end and, and it kind of made a sort of sense in the way that Jack Leach had been encouraged to play. But Mark Robinson had, uh, Ollie Robinson, I beg pardon, had Harry Brook at the other end. Mm. And you sort of think that it's possible, isn't it, for Ben Ball to develop? By which I mean, yes, with the continued aggressive approach, always looking to take the game forward, always looking, in inverted commas, to entertain and to redefine Test cricket. But there are some definitions within Test cricket that don't really need redefining. If you're 320 ahead with five wickets down on a flat track in Pakistan, just make damn sure you, you get to 400 mm. plus, which they, they could have done. So there'll be refinements to this, won't there? I'd heard Stephen Finn sort of compare it a little bit with the Owen Morgan revolution. Well, more than a little bit, really, mm. which was that the white ball team came out in that series against New Zealand and whacked 370-odd, 400 near as. Um, but they also, in that early stage of finding their feet in white ball cricket, did get bowled out for 240 and 40. Mm. And you lose the game when you do that one day cricket because 240 is not enough. England are going to be in danger of losing those test matches and somehow to lose a test match when you've got yourself so far in front in Pakistan would have felt like a hammer blow. So there is a sense in which a little bit of just evolution mm. of the approach, you know, learning from those situations so that you slam the door shut. You can slam a door shut quite creatively. It doesn't have to be unbelievably boring. It doesn't have to be John Edrich and Jeffrey Boycotts. Well, not so much slamming a door shut as closing the door, cutting out a little hole in it and saying, you don't even want to come in here. Do you see what we're doing? <laughs> puh, puh. You know, I mean, do you know what I mean? So, so, there, will be, there will be 
evolution yeah. went there well, in this. We're not watching the finished yeah. the, article. The best way to provide the entertainment that England want to provide was to have Harry Brook stay there for quite a long time and do his thing. So that that's the that's the refinement is there is a little bit of ne- negotiation along the line that not everyone has to play wild because actually the, the the best route to this frenzy is to let the people who are really good at it make sure they have enough time to do it but get your wins out for the lads <laughs> they're not going to listen to they're yeah. not going to listen to any talk and why should they they've found they've found this heady brew is doing them just fine so until they come come rolling off the rails i mean they have said it uh mccullum did say last summer I, I i want i want to fail to see where the ceiling on this thing is <laughs> and they haven't found it yet so let's you know let's wait until they yeah they, they had a pretty damn good they had a damn good go at Raul Pindy. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting 500 in a day with four centurions and 75 yeah. overs and then an absolutely madcap, crazy declaration. So, look, we, we, we've got an idea of how they're going to go about it. Um, I just would like... I, I think you're absolutely right. No one is going to be listening to us in that team camp and there's no reason why they should. And, in fact, they should actively, definitely not listen to us. Or anyone, but for that matter. <laughs> Joe Root. No, indeed. But, but Joe Root kind of plays Ben Ball anyway. And it would be nice for him to leave Pakistan with one of the many, many centuries. Oh, yeah. Just a brief, before we go to the next break, most number of hundreds by England players in a calendar year. England play a lot of test matches these days, it has to be said, but 22, I think it is. And Joe Root hasn't got one at all in Pakistan, where you might have thought he'd have been nailed on for at least one, probably two. Maybe that's going to happen in Karachi. After the break, when we come back, we are going to look at the composition of England's side. Are there going to be any changes for the third test? I'm Jared Kimber, the host of Red Inca on 99.94. But we're now adding a new weekly podcast, Double Century. It's about our sports, weird, funny, sad and amazing history. So if you want to know about the man who could catch balls and birds or what Avida may have done to a cricket club, search for us in your favourite podcast platform or find us on the 99.94 DM app. Welcome back. So, um, it looks like Pakistan's route to victory, and totally understandably, Rory, given the injuries they've got to their quicker bowlers, they brought in Harris, Ralph Whiteball, specialist, but then he's down, Shaheen Sharafridi is down, Nazim Shah's not fit, um, Hassan Ali and Mohammed Abbas have not been brought into the side. Mm. They're fast bowling stocks. England have outbowled them, and you rarely say that in Pakistan, but part of the reason is, A, Anderson and Robinson particularly, accompanied by Wood in this test match, have bowled exceptionally well, but B, Pakistan do not have that many seamers that they can call on. So the move in Multan was to make the pitch favourable to spin. It wasn't a ragging turn. It wasn't Ahmedabad in a pink ball test, but there was encouragement there. We saw the brilliance of Abra, who on debut just looked a million dollars. So you'd imagine that they'd do something similar for Karachi. and They're going to want to come out of this test match with a win. I mean, you don't get draws against England these days, but they're going to want to give themselves a good chance to bowl England out twice. If they do that, it's more likely to be with spin, given that that's been their most potent weapon. And actually, England spinners, you know, Jack Leach is going about 57 runs for a wicket. Will Jacks, after taking six wickets in his first innings, wasn't really trusted on that last day. It was a lot more of Joe Root. Dare I say the words, Rian Ahmed, he's in the side. And if they're going to make a change, and I can see two changes, actually. 
I can see folks coming in and I can see Rian Ahmed coming in. I'm not quite sure how I get them both in, but there's a possibility, isn't there? And what a dreamy debut that would be. It would be yes. the youngest man, he'd be the youngest man ever to play for England in a test yeah, match. Yeah, it, it does feel like with the series won, it feels very appealing for England to to look at Rian Ahmed. He, he also is a really good batter. And he, and he actually, when I interviewed him mm. in October, he I was asking him all kinds of questions about being a young leg spinner and what's it what's it like to be England's great young hope. And he said, Yeah, yeah, but I am batter. <laughs> and which is which is great fun. Um but he, he you know he, he in that last match of the season, his third first class match, let's be honest, he's he got a fight, he's got his maiden fifer and his maiden century. So he isn't necessarily too wild of a pick for Will Jacks, who was himself uh, not a, not a stick on or not a certainty so with with what's coming ahead and and with the excitement around a young leg spinner it feels almost too tempting for people like Ben Stokes and and Real, uh, Brendan McCullum not to pull the pull the pin on this one the only thing is they'll have seen him in the nets they'll have been around him i suspect the only thing that would really hold them back is if they felt he wasn't ready and that it would be a damaging thing for him. But he is exceptionally, exceptionally confident and assured in himself. Okay, so let me give you let me give you the other scenario. And this seems like a rather tame one, but is it really? If you bring in Ben Folks for Will Jacks, just make that one mm. change. Try to get back to back tests out of Mark Wood. If he can't, then get his light for light replacement in the squad, which is Jamie Overton, as near yeah. as. That's that's the, the next nearest option. Uh, because if you're not going to bowl Will Jacks, then having Will Jacks back down at number seven and force Ollie Pope to take the gloves, which meant that in the second innings he came in lower down and ran himself out, looked frenetic. England have found a number three in Ollie Pope and they're in danger of missing out on the joys of having the mm. number three that is Ollie Pope if they don't want him to bat at number three after he's just taken the gloves. So is that the safe option? And if it is the safe option, does that mean it's definitely not going to happen? <laughs> Probably. It, it is safe, and, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Folks plays because Stokes is so he, he he's got a way Stokes of. There's only really been I think we've said this before. There's only really been Alex Lees who's been dropped, dropped by England so far under this regime. Matt Potts, but no, not quite no, no, quite of. the opposite. I, I mm. he's been dropped in the most mindful way possible. Like every time, every time England dropped Matt Potts. And they dropped him at the end of the summer and then they didn't pick him for this tour. I've had to double check at the end of the press conference that he's definitely not in the team or the squad because they're so positive and so effusive about him. And I think he's, I suspect he'll play in New Zealand. He feels like that'd be a great place for him to get out. And actually, I do think he would have been quite helpful out here. He runs in hard and keeps going. And I think they could have actually made pretty good use of Potts. But I don't feel Matt Potts has been dropped, dropped. I don't feel Ben Fawkes has been dropped, dropped. They're, they're, they're kind of... They have a way of keeping them pretty happy. And I think folks playing this week would be one way of doing that. And actually also easing up on Ollie Pope because it's been, you'd think his body is, is barking at him right now, wouldn't you? That After what he's spent in the field and he's not been used to doing that. But talk about safe picks. I wouldn't pick Mark Wood for a moment in this test match. I wouldn't even consider picking Mark Wood. I would pick Jamie Overton because we need to get to a position where Mark Wood is rolled out when he is required 
and not use as a workhorse. I'd be really wary about using him in back-to-back tests ever. And I certainly wouldn't use him in back-to-back tests when we've won the series. It's, it would be dangerous because he puts... Just watch one ball of Mark Wood. Really watch it. Really, really watch it. <laughs> it's a year of work. It's, it's a year of work. <laughs> so, I, I, honestly, it, it, it feels like him turning up for one game on this tour and winning it and winning the series, job done. Sit down. Go and go and sing, go and sing "God Save the King" with the Barmy Army. You know, do all that stuff. I think England would be mad to play Mark Wood. I'd give Jamie Overton a run out, see how he looks now, and uh, <laughs> whether you pair that with Riyad Ahmed, that's the only thing. You know, whether a bowling attack of Jamie Overton and Riyad Ahmed in tandem looks a little bit punchy, I don't know, but. They are going to look for that. They are well, going to look yeah, yeah. for that ceiling, aren't they? We're going to see when too much is. How much is too much? Yeah, I mean the only issue there is I don't think you can bring in folks as well to do that um, because then then well I, I can't really see how the composition yeah. of the team then works out. So yeah, I, I, on balance, I think it's more likely that you're going to get Overton for Wood yeah. and folks for Jacks. That strikes me as as the likeliest yeah. option um, and time will tell it is a, a match that is important still I mean coming away with a 3 nil win it doesn't seem to matter mm. really when Stokes takes the field the, the idea is that the team goes out there to entertain yeah. and each game is seen as an opportunity the extraordinary sidebar to this of course is it would mean that James Anderson and Ollie Robinson would play all three mm. matches and the way in which Stokes has used them as bowlers has made that possible. The, the workload for Anderson has been remarkably light considering yeah. and England earned themselves an extra day and a half off as a result of wrapping up the test match in double quick time. For Pakistan, do you see any changes? I mean, they, they're struggling with resources. I thought the balance of their batting lineup was better this time mm. by having a couple more um, all-rounders in there, but their, their seam bowling resources look pretty toothless. And their wicket-taking potential all seem to depend on a debutant in Abra. Yeah, Shaheen's been such a big loss. They are, they are a different proposition with him because he is—he brings electric passages of play to bear. So he's been a huge loss for them. I mean, Nazim Shah didn't play in this game. You'd expect he would play, wouldn't you? I mean, he, he is their class player, bowler in the absence of Shaheen. So he's had a game out. You'd think he'd come back. I think if Pakistan win a test match against this England team, I think Azar Ali has a job to do with that because he can grind them and say if there is, I mean, either Mark Wood plays or Overton plays, say, and Azar is a batsman who can make Wood come back again and again, make Anderson ball a few more than he has to, or really put the mockers on, you know, a young bowler like, oh, not a young bowler, but a, inexperienced bowler like Overton. So I, I think they look... He hasn't been in good form. I think they look stronger with Azarali in the batting lineup as a real specialist. Well, time will tell. That match starts on Saturday. I'm flying out to Pakistan to commentate that for You'll TNS. probably have to leave that and, jacket um, at home. Well, it's two degrees <laughs> today outside where I am and I'm flying this afternoon to Karachi and I'm due to arrive in 30 degree heat. So the 28 degree difference would be quite a thing. And my colleagues have put in various requests for me to bring mm. things from home. You know, they've only been out there two weeks and the re- requests are cough mixture, 
cold and flu tablets, <laughs> pot noodles. Sounds like quite the cocktail. <laughs> yeah, I bought a load of chocolate for um, Phil Brown. Nice. He, he asked for lint chocolate orange. Nice. So I bought lint chocolate orange and he, um, he told me I got the wrong Ugh. one and I was a complete idiot. Yes. Yeah. So, well, what do you mean? Huh? It's, so, I'll just eat the chocolate oranges myself. <laughs> it's time for our second and final break. When we come back, we're going to take a quick look at how the women are getting on out in the West Indies. And spoiler alert, it's really rather well. I'm Jared Kimber and I host two podcasts on 99.94. Red Inca, which is chats on trends and stories within the game with a weekly Q&A where I can be asked about anything from a time-travelling Don Bradman to which cricket ground serves the best food. And Double Century, I look at the historical stories that make cricket what it is today. You can search for either of them in your favourite podcast platform or on the 99.94 DM app. So, welcome back. England's men, we've put to bed. 2-0. In the series, one to go. I mean, we should we, we should England should women. just mention that the Raoul Pindy pitch has been marked down. Oh, got a demerit point for being uh, not a good contest between bat and ball. So, listen, that's a that's a, a a good thing because it was garbage pitch, useless, very very against the interests of good Test cricket, despite England's best efforts. But it's one demerit point because there was a result. Probably, if that was a draw, it might get three. But you're allowed five demerit points before you actually. Oh, so, so you could so have, you... have five. So could... so they've, had, they've, had, they've had two. They've had two demerits now because the Australia one also was marked down. But you, they're allowed to do that for three more years before we actually do something about the pitch. So it's no good. Do it. Go a bit harder. Tell them to dig it up and get on with it. Well, with a bit of luck, that will be uh, the incentive that they need to make sure the same doesn't happen in Karachi. But back to the women. And the women are on an eight-match tour of the West mm. Indies. They play three one-day internationals, five T20s. They won all three one-day internationals by colossal margins, 140-plus runs. The first T20, well, it followed a slightly different script, but it was still a huge margin of victory for England. They won by eight wickets, having restricted the West Indies just 105 in their 20 overs. It's a massive mismatch. England have got... A wonderful blend of youth and experience. They've got a new coach out there. Hardly anyone's able to see or hear the matches, but the information that I have seen and that I am getting just shows dominance by England at the moment. And, you know, England fans and the England setup will be happy at that, but there must be some disquiet. This is the West Indies we're talking about, recent winners of the World T20. And they look so far off the pace. The the differences in quality in women's cricket now that have come in as a result of professionalism, which is something that we all applaud, but it's uneven professionalism across the board, is a matter for no small concern, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and England is strengthening up their ranks. You know, while other people are getting getting to where England were a few years ago, England are increasing the number of professional contracts, increasing the competition, building these you know options that have, we've talked about before freshened up the team there's a game there's a game you know plenty of games coming up they're coming thick and fast but where we stand right now it doesn't look at all impossible that England would, would leave the tour with eight wins and doesn't look good like that's that's well it's not how it's not how it's not how one day cricket is supposed to no. go or white ball cricket you know um, yes the better side is going to win but in a five match T20 series yeah at least you want to see the West Indies getting close. You want to see Hayley Matthews whack an impressive 70, put some mm. pressure on on England at the moment. There's no pressure, but it's really hard to be critical of... of you can't be critical of the England women. I mean, they're, they're playing what's put out in front of them and they're 
and they're absolutely marmalizing them. And we should be delighted for the likes of Lauren Bell yeah. and for the returning Heather Knight. It's great to see um, Sophia Dunkley in there. It's great to see uh, Winfield Hill mm. back, batting at number three, Danny Wyatt. So that, that sort of experience and that youth is coming together really well. But I, I, West Indies don't have a professional setup. Mm. And unfortunately, these kind of mismatches, they're in danger of taking women's cricket back yeah. a or at least international cricket and making the focus far more on leagues, isn't it? Because yeah. that's where you're going to see the cream of the crop. Yeah, and, and you've, you've rightly mentioned on several occasions that this is not a series that's been particularly well sort of publicised, documented, broadcast. It's, it's, it's been a little bit niche. Well, honestly, the competitiveness of the matches hasn't helped that, and it won't. There'll be, there'll not be many people in those studios or in those decision making offices who go, "God, we must have a piece of that." There's not going to be a ticker tape parade for England winning five nil in the T Twenty series if that happens. It, it needs to be a bit better. Negativity done with for the moment. Lauren Bell is emerging from this series as as the star. The sort of she she came into the team in the summer, but looks to be stepping up a level really every time and looks like a real red hot flyer for the, for the ashes summer that's coming ahead. Sophia Dunkley's been moved up again to open and the, there's been a bit of a theme of empowerment there for, for, for John Lewis at the start of this the tenure whereby Capsi was opening in the ODIs. Dunkley was settling at three. Now Dunkley's opening in the T20s. They have really given a lot of, and, and even just Lauren Bell opening the bowling each time. Uh, there's been a real confidence and belief in those young players to to set set the tone and set the bar. I still, and I'd love someone to explain to me, somebody knows better. I have asked people actually, and I don't I never quite. I either don't get an answer that I like, or I don't understand it. One of the two. But I don't know why Sarah Gled is a is a lock in for the T20s and doesn't play ODIs really generally. And it's a bit that um, yes, I've I've asked that question as well. Don't really it's, understand it's it. As if it... Well, I think is that they think that she's going to go at six and over, and six and over in four overs in a T Twenty is absolutely mm. marvelous. Six and over in ten overs is less marvelous. Yeah. That's my feeling. I mean, I can't put it yeah. any other way. Um, you know, it, it, and the amount of time that people have to settle against her, the more over she has to bowl, the the more people get into a groove. I don't know, but being typecast yeah, as a twenty over player is not the worst no. thing in the world. You're gonna have quite a long career doing yeah. that, I would yeah, have thought. I and so. that's where the money yeah. is. You don't see too many fifty over leagues cropping I, up. True. Left true. Right center. I once asked I once asked uh, a former national selector of the England men's team. Uh, you can try and guess who it was if you want. <laughs> um why Chris Jordan for several years was just always in every T twenty team and opened the bowling and was like Owen Morgan's go to man in the field. And then just never appeared in any ODI squads, and I was I was told I really really didn't understand that they were very different skill sets until he was then recalled to the fifty over team. <laughs> apparently the skill sets changed. Apparently the skill sets changed then, from what I can gather. But um, well, the lesson there, Rory, is that we you know when you ask um, people who work in cricket who are on the playing side what's going on. You must expect to be treated with complete and utter contempt. Default. That's my that's my default. And it's something I've got used to it over the years. It's uh, it's quite comfy. It's a little bit like this magnificent sheepskin jacket mm. that I am currently wearing. But we'll shortly be divesting off as I head to Pakistan. Next time Rory and I will be together, we'll be God willing when I'm in Karachi and 
you're still in England and we'll be mulling over the start of a of a third and final test match and also casting our eye on a couple more T20s that were taking place between England's women and the West Indies. Thanks for listening to England Cricket on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at Norcross Cricket, in my case and in your case, Rory. At the RVD. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.